Hello, welcome to the Pages of HR podcast, everyone. Today, we're going to discuss how and why to transform important working relationships into great partnerships. I'm pleased to have with me Seth Silver, principal of Silver Consulting, Inc. Dr. Silver has worked with hundreds of diverse clients on leadership, cultural change, employee engagement, and workplace success. He was also an associate professor of human resource development at St. John Fisher College in the Rochester Institute of Technology. I'm also pleased to have Dr. Timothy Franz, an organizational psychologist, professor of psychology, and chair at St. John Fisher College. He also works as an organizational consultant through his firm, Franz Consulting. Their new book is Meaningful Partnership at Work, How the Workplace Covenant Ensures Mutual Accountability and Success Between Leaders and Teams. Gentlemen, Welcome to Pages of HR, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thanks for Absolutely. having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, let's dive right into it. So, uh, Seth, you mentioned earlier that, you know, this book got written because of because of COVID. It was the inspiration, mm-hmm. and basically COVID was a gift, and you both were doing research that led to it. So could you delve deeper into that about why you wrote Meaningful Partnership? Sure. So um, I have to go back even further in time, Uh, you know, once upon a time, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, I worked for the Xerox Corporation, and it was instrumental in opening my eyes to team dynamics. One of the roles I had was to uh, do team building. And back then, that company spent, uh, you know, some serious attention on that. And I worked with managers and I would meet with them individually and ask them about what was going on with their team. It was sort of a diagnostic process step that I always did before jumping in and doing a whole day long team building thing to improve productivity and communication. I would meet with the manager separately and, and ask what was going on. And invariably, these managers would tell me all the things that they wish their team would do differently. They weren't disparaging their team, but they were saying, you know, I wish they would be more prepared for meetings. I wish they were more responsive to emails. I wish they would settle issues themselves without bugging me and bringing me into it, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd meet with the team separate from the manager and they would have the same, the same wish list. They would say, well, we wish, you know, our boss was more of this or more of that, or did more of this or more of that. And it, there was mutual respect. Again, it's important to sort of note that these, they weren't intense complaints, mm-hmm. but they were definite wish lists and they were based on expectations that hadn't been shared. Uh, it was based on implicit stuff, implicit needs, implicit expectations. And it occurred to me that what was necessary to bridge this gap uh, was to have them have a conversation. What do they need from each other right. uh, really to feel supported and be successful? And so the team building back then started to incorporate that. I left that company for a variety of reasons. Tim and I, we started to work together in like 06, 07, 08. And basically doing the same kinds of of team uh, development um, programs for a variety of different clients. And so we really refined this process that the book outlines called the Workplace Covenant. And we both realized we got to write about this. I I mean, we're doing it in practice. We're discovering things where we sort of took something that was, you know, this deep and we made it, you know, five times deeper in terms of the processes and the steps and what it was able to accomplish. And we both just realized that we had to write a book, but again, timing was everything and uh, he's busy teaching and I'm busy consulting. I, I'm a, I'm a one-time professor who I'm a consultant who did professoring on the side. He's a professor who does consulting on the side and our schedules didn't mesh really. And, and so this gave us the gift. Amazing. Amazing. And so I guess first let's define this, right? So 
what is what is meaningful partnership, right? And what is the workplace covenant? And then how do they work in tandem? Meaningful partnership, this idea of meaningful partnership, when you talk about it, it's more than just having a partnership. The idea of a partnership is often a legal term. Lawyers work in a partnership, and they may not like each other, they may not respect each other, and I'm not throwing any lawyers under the bus, but the idea that they have a partnership talks about their legal agreement. Well, we really consider this term meaningful partnership important. When we talk about meaningful, we're talking about something above and beyond. Now, you think about, um, may she rest in peace, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. People say, well, she led a meaningful life. What does that mean? That means above and beyond. So when we're talking about meaningful partnership, we're talking about a partnership that's above and beyond. And specifically, it's a place where both parties feel supported and able to succeed. So it's support and success. It's not a trust fall, people getting at a table and falling backwards. But it's about success at work, where they have this elevated sense of cohesion, connection, and collaboration. And both parties are accountable for the success of the relationship and making sure that there is this mutual part of the relationship where they're both involved and both trying to contribute to it. If I can build on that a little bit. So let's take a look at what's wrong in many workplaces, all right? What's wrong is managers are told, you gotta hold your team accountable. You gotta hold your team accountable. Right. And that's drilled into management training and leadership training and and their bosses typically do that. And if you think about that, that's really a one-way relationship um, without realizing that they're literally in the same boat together. In the book, we have this metaphor of two in a canoe. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine if only one person's canoeing, uh, you know, rowing, uh, paddling, and the other one isn't. What If you've ever been in a canoe, if one person paddles on one side and the other doesn't do anything, you just go in circles. Um, or, you know, to use a sports analogy, um, the team and the coach have to do well. If the team doesn't do well, the coach is fired, right? Right. Uh, teams and coaches are interdependent. Their success and their fates are intertwined. And so we really wanted to look at meaningful partnership as this state where there is mutual and co-equal responsibility for the health of the relationship, uh, the success of what they're doing together, and making sure that the other, as Tim said so articulately, is making sure the other party feels supported and can be successful. So this mutuality thing is really huge. And if, if I can pick up from there and talk about the workplace covenant, um, we, we have this idea of a, a mindset, a model, and a medium that we lay out pretty clearly in our book. And the mindset is that of meaningful partnership, which we just talked about. Our model is ERTAP, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, empathy, respect, trust, alignment, leading to that partnership. But you asked about the workplace covenant. And the workplace covenant is a tool, it's a model to get to that meaningful partnership, to get to that level of reciprocal support so that people can feel successful, uh, so feel supported and be successful. And it allows a very structured way to have that conversation, to have an important word we use, that dialogue between our typical example, a leader and their team members that dialogue is important. And that dialogue is one where people, as Seth said, have a structured opportunity to talk about 
their expectations of one another, but more, more importantly, their obligations to one another. And I'm sure later in the conversation, we'll be talking more about how to go about performing a workplace covenant, but that's the basic idea, the basic premise to what the workplace covenant is. And so we focus a lot on that manager team relationship because almost everyone has a manager, right? In almost any organization, unless your name's at the top of the building, um, you know, you, you report to somebody. Right. And so that relationship is, is almost like cells in a body. I mean, every organization has managers and teams. But we also recognize that meaningful partnership exists between team and team. Mm-hmm. We've done gigs with, with clients where, you know, this department has to work closely and intricately and interdependently with that department and they're not, or this group and that group. So group to group can certainly have and should have meaningful partnerships, individual to individual. You can imagine two directors of two different teams that have to collaborate uh, and work together, you know, marketing and sales or social work and admissions in a nursing home or whatever. So the two directors and individuals might have that relationship. Um, And we envision it even more broadly. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, a nonprofit board should have a meaningful partnership with the senior team of that nonprofit. You know, so there's lots of places where it works. Absolutely. Beautifully. Oh, I'm sorry, Seth. Go yeah, ahead. no, no, that that's that was that was where I was going with that. OK, awesome. Beautifully said uh, by both of you. Thank you for that. I think this will be a good time uh, for the excerpt that you prepared to read that. Sure, sure. So. OK, so this is from chapter one. So I, I will preface by saying that that um, our introduction uh, covers actually those three things, the mindset, the model and the medium and, and introduces the reader to that. Okay. And so here's chapter one, the need for meaningful partnership, the basic problem in our workplace. If you work in an organization, you know the obvious. Not everyone loves their job. You probably also know this problem is not new. Organizations have tried for years to make the workplace better with various initiatives situational leadership, total quality, empowerment, diversity training, career development, 360 degree feedback, seven habits, crucial conversations, five dysfunctions, employee engagement, scrums, and recently work from home. Despite all of these good efforts, the basic problem remains. Many employees, in fact, at all levels, finish work feeling unsupported, unappreciated, and frustrated. Sure, some are highly satisfied and highly engaged in their job, but research consistently finds they are actually a small percentage of the workforce. So why do most employees in most organizations feel either somewhat or significantly dissatisfied? What makes so many routinely complain about their work to family and friends? Why is it that almost all of us at some point seriously consider leaving our job and finding something better? It's because the manager-team relationship is crucial. We believe the answer is touched on by the above programs, but has never been the main focus. It is the quality of our professional relationships that matter. The most important one is the crucial relationship between a manager and their team. Phenomenal. Thank you both for reading that. Uh, And to circle back, I think... Wow, uh, we hit the nail on the head already. COVID has definitely disrupted that relationship and shifted everything. All the norms went out the window, traditional workplace, of course, culture, office. uh, And now more than ever, you know, especially working from home the past 18 months uh, for many individuals, uh, managers have had to 
keep, of course, their workforce, excuse me, workforce engaged, uh, keep them uh, productive, but most importantly, keep them connected as well. So this is certainly a timely book. We, we noticed, again, sort of looking at the problem and, and hoping that our book and the processes and mindset we, we outline as sort of an antidote or a, a vaccine, if you want to use the analogy, um, is that people during the, the pandemic have, I think, the levels of isolation, anxiety, um, and stress have all gone up. Um, and we talk about in the book, actually, in the introduction, the four dreaded Ds, mm-hmm. the four dreaded Ds. And what are those? It starts with dissatisfaction. People get miffed because their boss ignores good work or doesn't acknowledge them or doesn't support them. So the first D is dissatisfaction. The second D is disengagement. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens over time if you know my boss continually is ignoring me or doesn't see my good work or doesn't give me the support I feel I need. So over time, dissatisfaction morphs into that cancer called disengagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been measured and studied quite a bit. And it means that people are basically tuning out and potentially looking for something different. The third D is despair. Uh, disengagement unattended and unfixed over time turns to that really sort of deeper psychological level of I am wasting my time here. This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Why am I showing up for work? Why am I putting out for this job or this person or this group? Um, so that level of despair uh, can really depress people. And that has implications at home. And then despair, of course, leads to departure. Yeah. So we'll go with dissatisfaction, disengagement, despair, departure. And um, we feel that um, this kind of approach to creating good, healthy, mentally healthy, mutually supportive relationships in the workplace, that's that's an antidote. That's a vaccine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I see you nodding your head, Tim. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say something. Uh, but to redirect it back uh, to you, Tim, uh, because Seth, I think going from those four dreaded Ds to Tim, what you were saying earlier about empathy, trust, and respect, uh, that's what can help lead uh, to uh, forming those you know, meaningful partnerships, excuse me, in the workplace, correct? Yes, we, we talk about ERTAP. So empathy, respect, trust, and alignment. That's what leads to this level of partnership and then over time develops this meaningful partnership. So you need these foundational levels and our our model says they're somewhat in order. Empathy leads to respect, respect leads to trust, trust leads to alignment. And when you have all those foundations, you lead to partnership. They're also mutually reinforcing, of course. As you have more respect, you can have more empathy. So empathy is this idea that there's this profound appreciation for the perspective of others. Mm-hmm. And respect, in a, in a work context specifically, is where you see your partners in this relationship as legitimate and valid, deserving the rights that you would expect in yourselves. Mm-hmm. Trust means that you have some level of confidence that the people in your relationships would have your back, mm-hmm. would support you, and won't speak ill of you. And then all these things, empathy, respect, and trust, leads to alignment. Being on, there's lots of different organizational terms for this. Being on the same page, rowing in the same direction, uh, flying towards the same goal, whatever it is, there's lots of different sayings. That's what we're talking about, is moving together towards this shared vision and goal. And once we have empathy, respect, trust, and alignment, we can get at least a beginning level of partnership. And then over time, 
develop that meaningful, deeper level of partnership that leads to our success. Again, this is not about just feeling good. It's about success at work. How can you be successful? If you have people supporting you, uh, you feel safe, you feel a sense of belonging, you feel uh, a sense of alignment, um, then you can be more successful at work. Yeah, there's an analogy we use in the book and we feel it works well. And so if, if you take health or happiness, pardon me, happiness, mm-hmm. you know, one can think of sort of striving for happiness, but what does that really look like? And, and one could say that happiness is a function of your health, financially comfortable, mm-hmm. positive relationships, uh, work that you enjoy. I, I mean, you know, happiness doesn't happen itself. It happens because of other things. And I think in some ways, meaningful partnership is like that. It, it's, it's not necessarily something you strive for per se, but if you have mutual empathy, if you have mutual respect, if uh, there's trust and trustworthiness and keeping of one's word and not, not uh, going behind one's back, et cetera, et cetera, if there's alignment, then these things we believe lead to meaningful partnership. Absolutely. And beautifully said, uh, thank you. To, thank you both for uh, those beautiful answers. So like I told you already before, I started delving into the book. I'm already sold, but for our listeners out there, how do you know this process works? Well, we know it works first from experience, years of experience. And as Seth talked about where this came from at the beginning uh, was uh, his original work. And then, uh, you know, I got dragged in later and I I love the ride. and in, in fact, it, what happened is around, like Seth said, 2006, he told me about this process and I was sold back then and said, um, this is great. And so I'm, a, as Seth said, I'm a professor who consults. He's a consultant who professes. We have a synergistic relationship. And by the way, we do have a workplace covenant as an aside. We do actually have this set of obligations towards one another. Um, uh, and Seth is showing it on video now for those of you. Oh, amazing. See. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and look, sign too. Sign. Yeah. <laughs> we have actually done two different research studies on this. We did a pilot research study and we did a longitudinal research study. And we did these with real teams at work, not college students who were pretending to be teams like so much psychological research, but we did it with real teams at work. And so I'm just going to briefly talk about our last study, the longitudinal study, we measured over time alignment, partnership, team performance, and conflict, um, among other things. But those are four key measures. Uh, We did it in 33 team members, 18 leaders across eight teams. We measured them four times um, before the covenant process, two to three months later, four to six months later, six to eight months later, and watched what happened. And as our research shows, which is in the book, alignment went up, partnership went up, team performance went up, and conflict went down. Uh, So we not only have the anecdotes and the personal experience, but also two different research studies that show this works. In the book, we we also have some stories, and and stories, you know, allow the reader to identify with what's going on. And we, we tell four in particular. There's some smaller stories that are woven into a paragraph here or there, but there are four sort of larger stories, and, and I think they're relevant. Two, two male managers, two female managers. Um, the first story uh, is, we call it, you know, great to excellent or great to superb. The, this individual was truly a superb manager going in. Uh, he was doing everything right. His team loved him. By any objective measure, this, this guy would have been a fantastic manager at any organization. But he wanted to get even better, 
and our work, you know, co uh, coincided with him and, and he used the process to even take it the next step. There was a good, uh, an okay to good or okay to great mm -hmm. situation where the manager was okay and was, you know, doing all right in some areas and not in others. He himself was a decent guy, but there was incredible strife within his team, uh, real divisions, real schisms. And uh, we worked using this process to bring that, that senior staff together. It was in a nursing home, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so really go from okay to really good. <laughs> um, there was a female manager we worked with who um, had many talents and incredible passion and, and uh, energy, uh, but was just burning bridges with, with peers and with some of the members of her team. And so in a combination of executive coaching and also the workplace covenant, helping her to realize how to build, maintain, and then if necessary, fix key relationships because fixing really because all relationships get into trouble right at some point you know we know this personally from significant others to parents or kids or whatever every relationship is going to go like this so how do you fix it and so the covenant becomes a the workplace covenant becomes a great tool and then the last example a female manager who herself was was really good but she had incredible strife she had generational differences she had racial she had religious she had immigrant and native I'm not native, but, you know, born here kind of things. And there was friction on her team, like <laughs> in a dozen different directions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it could have been a legal nightmare. And this process really helped bring some healing uh, to, to her team. And we were proud of that. So so those examples are, are shared in the book. Absolutely. Thank you for those as well. Great examples. And so, OK, we know, obviously, right, the, the process works. Where does this process not work? <laughs> Seth, I'll Doug. let you take that one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, we're both thinking of a particular manager who was the poster child for insincerity, inauthenticness, uh, and truly nastiness. Mm. Um, and as the book says, those were her good qualities. Um, mm. So, uh, wow. you know, there there is a case to be made for an individual manager who is so narcissistic and so arrogant and so defensive or explosively anger oriented mm -hmm. this won't work and and we we guesstimate I, I actually can't remember if we left this in the book or not tim but i think i think informally we have said about five percent you know probably you know one out of 20 uh, is just not going to make the trip i think there's a much bigger percentage who are skeptical and skepticism mm -hmm. is fine it's a new process and it, it can be intimidating at first to sort of make yourself accountable to your team because workplace covenant forces the manager to say, here are the things you can rate me on and give me feedback on, and I welcome it, and gosh darn, I'll make changes based on it. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a vulnerability component to this on both sides, team and manager. But uh, yeah, I think 5%, um, there are just some real narcissistic personalities out there. I, I tend to think the universe sorts them out and kicks them out at some point. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, I think these people just leave such a wake of distaste and destruction um, in their path that eventually HR or lawyers or senior people just sort of say you know, the, the cost is too high to have people like you around. But, you know, I've encountered, we've encountered some of those along the way mm -hmm. and um, you recognize them pretty fast. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that too. And, and thank you for that. Um, wow. The book covers uh, so much, but again, like I said, it's certainly necessary and very much so needed. Uh, what do you hope that uh, readers take away if, if there's anything one big thing what do you want them to take Tim? away from reading this well what we want them to take away is this is a practical process that can be used 
immediately that everybody can start. Certainly, Seth and I can uh, you know, know how to facilitate this, but we lay out the process in the book. It's practical. It's research-based. So uh, it's for a consultant who professes, a professor who consults, an HR manager. It is something that anybody can use. Mm-hmm. Um, we even include slides to get you started in the appendix in the book. So um, this is an easy process to use. Beautifully uh, said there. And you know what? You just mentioned that you give slides as well in the book, um, which taps into my next question. Not literally right, but uh, it certainly seems different from a leadership or, or a teamwork book that I've come across. Uh, how would you say it differentiates uh, the book from a leadership or teamwork book? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I, I love answering that question. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. And and we actually address it in the in the introduction. So um, you know, my doctoral dissertation was in leadership and I teach it all the time. And, and if you read leadership books um, at the risk of minimizing them, they're usually laundry lists of, you know, if you're a good leader, you need to do these 84 things or these 28 things or these 13 things. And here's the model that supports that. And it's very focused on the leader and it kind of ignores the behavior or the interactive effect of the team. I mean, Tim and I as parents will tell you that our kids' behavior influences our parenting behavior. It's interactive. It's back and forth. And, you know, who we are as parents, to some extent, is the personality and behavior of the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, just looking at the leadership role, it ignores the team. Similarly, I would say, and again, not, not to disparage team books, but I think if you just look at the team, sorry, Tim, if you just look at the team, you're missing the key interaction. Yes, it's, it's a wonderful book. I use it all the time. You do I'm miss sure what's going you, on. Sure with my team book, my team yeah. behavior book. And uh, you, yeah. you miss what's going on with the man. So here's the example I like to use. And, and I know your listeners can't see my hands, but just imagine <laughs> that my hands are about one foot apart. And I, I used to, I actually, I still do martial arts. Okay. I learned karate at a very young age and I still practice it. And, and chief black belt, I, I used to judge tournaments. Okay. And when two people are sparring, when two people are doing that mock fighting for point sparring, and either doing light contact or no contact, you as the judge have to determine whose punch was in first. And you learn very quickly as a judge that you don't look at fighter A and you don't look at fighter B, you look at the space in between. Mm -hmm. Because if you only look at fighter A, you miss everything fighter B is doing. If you only look at fighter B, you miss everything fighter A is doing. And so the only way to know whose punch was in first and whether it was close enough to count as a point or too far away to be counted is to look at the space in between. The book is about the space in between. The book is about that space in between the leader and the team. We say it will make you a better leader, and it will because it helps leaders be more sensitive to what their teams need from them and what's important in order to support your team and help them succeed. Ergo, therefore, it makes you a better leader. It will help the team be a better team, more self-managing, more self-correcting, more adaptive, because it helps the team understand what the leader needs from them. But it's not an advice book. Okay, we're not Dear Abby. We're, we're not an advice book with respect to leader, here are 12 things you need to do, and team, right. here are 47 things you need to do. It really is the space in between. So, right. lecture. So, I, I mean, this is, I think Seth put it very well, an expert on leadership. Um, I'm an expert on teams and team development, and this is really the space in between for both of us, for you know, pulling together both of our areas of expertise. Because what we know is what makes teams successful is how they work with the leader. And what makes leaders successful is how they work with the team. And we're not saying here are the five things that make your team not work and how to fix them. Or here are your 12 things as a leader. And that's what so many leader and team books do. We're saying, look, you need to have this authentic dialogue 
work together. And it's that dialogue in the process of having it in a safe and facilitated manner that helps leadership and teamwork improve. So we're not suggesting, as Seth said, the, the five steps or the five, thi- or the five things you need to do. We're suggesting here's a process. And here's a process that will help you to work better together so right. you can be successful and so your organization can succeed. It's the interaction. And, you know, a lot of people without reading this book or without sort of thinking about these things would say, well, it's the chemistry, right? It's the chemistry. And in sports, you look at the chemistry between the coach and the team. And by the way, I think sports is very illustrative in this because the wrong coach for the wrong team can be a disaster, right? Or you can have a superb coach, but he or she is not managing that team well. Absolutely. Uh, you, know, you mentioned Chicago and, you know, Phil Jackson was, was a great coach in one context and a not terrible, you know, a terrible coach. Yes. Or in hockey, you had Wayne Gretzky, who was a superb player and an awful coach. Yeah. So point being, you know, it is that chemistry, but let's peel that word chemistry apart. What makes that chemistry? Well, guess what? It's empathy, respect, trust alignment and partnership mm-hmm. it's focusing on supporting your partner to help them succeed but also to feel supported in the process that's chemistry wow beautifully said on both fronts uh if i could hold up uh i wish i had like a 10 10 sign or whatever just a score right now because <laughs> you hit so many things on the on the on the head here uh that, that was beautiful uh thank you both for those uh, eloquent responses obviously our listeners have Uh, so much to learn, uh, can learn so much, I should say, from reading this book. Uh, But I have to ask you gentlemen as well, uh, what did you learn from writing this book? Tim? What did we learn? Well, one, I'm a big fan, and I think Seth would agree with this, that you don't know what you're thinking until you write it. So I'm a college professor uh, in uh, social science. Uh, My students do a lot of writing. And it always surprises me when a student says, I know what I'm going to say. I just haven't written it. You know, and I'm always like, well, you know, you don't know what you're, ha- you're, you're going to say yet. Correct. Uh, because the process of writing. So we started this, and uh, Seth, I'm speaking for you here too, and I hope okay. you don't mind. But we started this kind of upside down. Um, we started this with the Workplace Covenant, Seth's idea about uh, how to get people to have this authentic dialogue and get them working working together. and the writing really helped us. I mean, the books changed, the titles changed, the books changed, the ideas have really honed and developed. So what did I learn? I learned again, it's not my first time, um, that writing is a process of thinking. Mm -hmm. Our ideas improved as a result of our partnership and as a result of trying to figure out what all this means. Mm -hmm. Uh, Write it in a way that works for people so they have this practical process that they can use sure sure i no, i build on that and, and just say uh it was you know to use an overused word synergistic i mean tim and i just had a ton of fun so we would often you know write sections come together uh if it was at my place it would often include gin and tonics if it was the right time of day <laughs> Uh, he's laughing. He knows exactly what I mean. There, there were certainly, yeah, there, 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 there was gin and tonic inspired uh, paragraphs in, in the book for sure. Um, and I agree with Tim that you you don't necessarily, I mean, we, we actually entitled the book at the beginning, the workplace covenant colon, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, had this epiphany in writing it that it's really not the tool. The tool's a means to an end. What's the end? The end is a state of meaningful partnership. So that should be the title. So we, we had an abrupt, and what, the book was 98% written by the time we changed the title. 
Um, and then we went around and did a few other things. <laughs> Which to required just... some serious rewriting. And yeah, indeed, in, indeed, indeed. <laughs> so there was revision. a lot of, yeah. I would also say that, you know, once it's written and it went to the publisher and, you know, that was that, there was no more capacity to change it. As we've done some of these, these podcasts and webinars, we've also had epiphanies about what we were really trying to say. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, we, it has sharpened our presentation. Uh, I think if we were to go back to him six months uh, with the door of writing still there, or more than six months now, um, you know, we, we might have kind of sharpened the message in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Second uh, edition. Yeah. Well, I, I, I definitely would have talked about the space in between because those words do not appear in the book, the space in between. And yet I think the metaphor is a good one. And, um, I, you know, I might, uh, I might, you know, have thought we could somehow insert that somewhere, but anyway, so that's, that's what I learned. He's right. It's an iterative process. Uh, I think we also just learned, or certainly I learned, I'll speak for myself that, you know, you can write a book, um, you know, t- for Tim, this is number three or number four. Wow. Um, so he's, he's spitting these things out. We have a friend who's written over a hundred, so we both feel pretty inadequate compared to our friend. <laughs> well, you're off to a great start. I can say that much. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it was certainly on the bucket list and it had been in, in our head, in my head for years and years, uh, really since, you know, those Xerox days in the nineties and the early part of consulting and, um, just the opportunity to do it was never quite there. And then COVID was this gift that we talked about. So. Absolutely. A beautiful, beautifully said. And of course, again, listen, uh, COVID is the, oh my God, the culprit, the catalyst, uh, the inciting incident for so many things right now. And if you're looking for a meaningful partnership at work, this book is certainly it. Uh, I know that the book is available on Amazon, correct? Can our listeners buy it anywhere else? Where can they find it? Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble, Taylor and Francis, uh, Rutledge. Uh, productivity press that's all yeah. part of the same yeah in the u.s i think it's 29.95 i know in canada it's 36.95 so mm-hmm. and do you both have a uh, social media can they follow you our listeners uh, uh we're both very active on linkedin linkedin um, okay. uh, i'm on instagram and a little bit on facebook here and there but mm-hmm. uh, and um, i think those are the instagram and and linkedin i'm very active on Right. We both have websites. Uh, I'm silverconsultinginc.com. Mm-hmm. Tim, your team building process. Team, yeah, teambuildingprocess.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. And is there anything else that either, either of you would like to well, highlight uh, about the book? Well, we've been complimented on the tone. Okay. Um, and if I can just take a second and, and comment on the tone, and Tim, please feel free to jump in and correct. But we paid attention to the tone. We really did. We, we were inspired by several books that we liked. And, and, you know, these are not books that were necessarily New York Times bestseller, but they, but they sold well. Uh, one in particular, Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it, the tone was talking to the reader, talking to a reader who knows something about organizational life, maybe not the most expert, but certainly not a novice, somewhere in between, someone who's, who's definitely spent five years or more in an organization, had a boss, had the frustrations of dealing with colleagues on a team, uh, presumably has felt unappreciated or unsupported either by their manager or by their team. That's the other thing we didn't really get into is that managers feel unsupported too. Um, you know, it's easy for a team member to say, well, my boss doesn't recognize or my boss doesn't do this or my boss doesn't do that. But I've talked to, we've talked to so many managers who will tell you, well, my team doesn't, <laughs> my team threw me out to dry, hung me up to dry. My team doesn't have my back. 
So it really was written, uh, first of all, as a conversation. Um, there's a little bit of humor. There's a lot of stories. We also throw in the theory, though, and, and we don't dwell on it, but we indicate you know, where those theories come from and a lot of quotations that we hope people enjoy. And um, so, uh, no, no, it's just, just to conclude on that. So, uh, you know, the tone was important to us. Um, a couple of the reviewers have noted it and complimented it, and uh, that's pleasing. Um, so we, we really tried to make a tone that, that brought the reader in and made them feel like this was a fireside chat about how to be more successful at work. Yeah, we try and we, we talk about having a dialogue between two people at work, a leader and their team often. Um, I think our tone also strikes that dialogue between us and the, the reader. Hopefully they, they, read it, they read it that way. Absolutely. And that's how everything starts, right? That's how, I, at least me, you know, as a, as a journalist, Dialogue is the catalyst to everything. You have to have those conversations. You have to be uh, empathetic. You have to be vulnerable and honest, right? And uh, you, you've got to trust each other. So it all harkens back to basically everything that you guys have said. So the stories, the humor, uh, the empathy, the tone, uh, it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful gumbo in my world. So again, I'm here for it. You have me. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Something Tim show, whatever it is, like you already have me, you have me on board. Um, thank you both so much for taking the time to converse with me. We truly appreciate appreciate you being here. I'm going to end off uh, asking you uh, one of the questions that I love asking uh, our, our guests. What does the next chapter uh, look like for each of you? Hmm. Dr. Franz? Well, uh, this is interesting because we both have... Uh, a next chapter, and I'm just going to go straight off this book. So we have two more ideas coming straight from this book to what's next. Mine is I would like to create a facilitator's guide, um, a step-by-step guide to how people should create meaningful partnership at work. So somebody can pick up a guide, a book with you know handouts on a three-ring binder that they can copy and use. So I think that's my next step is to create this facilitator's guide. Seth? Um, my thinking was to do one of those fable management books. Um, I, you know, we, Tim and I have a certain amount of skepticism because they're, they're not often all that deep. You know, mm -hmm. the classic one is five dysfunctions of a team. And I think that was particularly well done. Uh, if you've read that book by Patrick Lencioni, and I suggest it to any reader, it's, it's about 80, 90 pages of a fable female high tech manager comes in and is the new manager of a team that's got issues and, and they go through stuff and she gets mentoring. And so the, there's a story in the first 80 pages, double space reads pretty fast. And then the last three or four chapters are, are the model of five dysfunctions. I think that's not a bad way to reach a broader audience. I'm not entirely sure how broad the audience is for this book. You know, if I could wave my magic wand, Tim and I would love every HR person to have this book. We'd love every middle manager and above to have this. Certainly, you know, in a Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 company, we'd like this to be proliferating among the management team. But to be fair, I don't know that it's going to go, you know, all over everywhere the way Seven Habits of Highly Effective People did or something else, you know, or, or frankly, the way the one minute manager did to, to keep to my analogy. You know, the one minute manager back in the 80s went out to everybody. I mean, from the store clerk to the CEO. Uh, and Ken Blanchard really made a name for himself. I think a book of that type will have a broader appeal, a little easier to read, um, and will make the point that that this dialogue of, of expectations, obligations, mindset of partnership, ERTAP mm -hmm. uh, in you know four pages or less. Um, so I think there's there's a role for that kind of book. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you both again. It all sounds wonderful. And of course, I'm sure our readers will gain so much from this and everything else that you have to offer that's coming along in the pipeline as well. Um, thank you so much again for conversing with me and to our listeners. Thank you for joining and listening in. Uh, join us next time when we turn the page. <laughs>